what if things felt easy? And what I mean by easy is not, hey, let me take the easy way out. But what I mean by easy is, what if things felt natural? You are now tuned in to Misi Muse Unplugged, a podcast for go-getters on their journey to greatness. Unlock the secrets to your success through insights, inspiration, and education. Get ready to level up with your host, author and consultant, Christy Lindor. Hey, my go-getters. Welcome to the Missy Muse Unplugged podcast show. I'm your host, Christy Lindor. Thrilled to be bringing you episode 10 of season two. We are still on the topic of science of success. Today's episode is going to be a little different. We're going to actually jump straight into our interview with our guest. Let me introduce her. Her name is Wes Cow. I really, really admire Wes. I met her as one of the members of the Seth Godin MBA program, um, which I'll add a link in the show notes. But Wes and I, we have a really great conversation. Uh, She really helps us explore the concept of rigorous thinking, which is one of her go-to perspectives on her journey to greatness. And we also touch upon her thoughts as to the topic of discussion for uh, this episode. Does success always equate being profitable? I'm super thrilled to have her. A little bit more about her. She actually, Go-Getters, was the co-creator and the founding executive director of the Seth Golden Alt-MBA program. In addition to that, she has spent many years in marketing. She's worked with a number of big name brands. She's a guest lecturer at UC Berkeley as well as Harvard. Really, really awesome, true go-getter. So I think you're going to really enjoy my conversation with Wes. I actually, go-getters, I had my baby. My son's name is Rowan. That's R-O-W-A-N. People kind of seem to mix it up. People think I say Roland or Ronan, but it is Rowan. And I'm really, really thrilled to be a mom and to really be in this next part of my journey. And I cannot wait to share more about that with you. I'm actually going to, like I mentioned, go straight into this interview with Wes and hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm going to take a couple of weeks hiatus. So we will come back to the next show. Uh, We'll actually be the week of October 28th. So until then, here's to your journey to greatness. You're listening to the Meesey Muse Unplugged podcast. We'll be right back after the break. Several years ago, I was passed over for a promotion at my job. Instead of wallowing in my circumstances, that evening I decided to redirect my energy using a forgiveness technique I had casually created over the years. What happened over the next 15 months was an absolute life-changing breakthrough. So I decided to put it to the test. I shared the technique with a couple of friends and they too began to see major shifts at work. That's when I decided to formalize my forgiveness model into a book. Hi, I'm Christy Lindor. I've discovered that forgiveness used as an applied strategic skill in the workplace can shift your career to the next level. You can explore this concept in my new book, Release, use the power of forgiveness to get unstuck and thrive in your career. Order it now on Amazon or learn more at www.releasethebook.com.
very excited to have you on the show. I guess to, to kind of kick it off, if you can maybe walk us through top three influential moments of your journey that has really kind of shaped where you are today. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to reach back into history a little bit here. I was a pretty shy child and I was also a middle child. And I remember feeling things very deeply and not having the words to describe what I wanted or how I was feeling or what I needed. And I remember just feeling so frustrated that I wasn't able to articulate my thoughts. And so that was a really influential part of my journey because it made me really realize the power of words and how important it is to be able to think clearly about what you want and then to be able to articulate it so that the outside world knows what you're thinking and why and what to do about it. And I think a lot of what we do in the modern working world, our battles are won and lost based on words. So being that shy middle child that just never really felt understood, it, it really motivated me to figure out how do I master words and use them as a lever and as a tool. So that's one. Secondly, I started a nonprofit when I was in high school, when I was 16. And before that, the biggest thing that I'd ever planned was probably a birthday party for myself. So it was really my first foray into leadership. I had the idea one day when my dad was lecturing me. So, so first it was called Packs of Love. We donated backpacks and school supplies to underprivileged kids. So I got the idea when I was cleaning my room one day and I dumped out all these notebooks and pencils and stationery on the floor and I was reorganizing them. And my dad walked in, he took one look at everything and started to lecture me about how lucky I was to have all of these things, how so many kids aren't so privileged. And, and usually when he lectured me, I just kind of zoned out and eyes glazed over, just smiled and nodded. But after he left this time, I thought about what he had said as I continued cleaning. And I realized that he was right. And I did have a lot more you know, Hello Kitty pencils and stationery that I needed. And I thought, well, what if I could donate some of this to other kids who didn't have this so that they could feel excited about school and excited about the start of a new school year the way that, that I was? You know, so I was really excited about this idea, but turning the idea into a reality was the next step. And that turned out to be a lot harder than I thought. I'd already reached out to certain domestic violence shelters and foster care support services and, and promised them basically that I was going to donate all these backpacks to them. And then I realized it was it was hard to get people to donate money or donate supplies. And so it was a lot of knocking on doors. I went from one store to another asking to speak with store managers at Walmart and Target and Walgreens. I wrote letters to corporations and stationery companies. And it was a lot of getting rejected over and over and making every rookie mistake in the book. But eventually it got off the ground and I donated over $40,000 worth of backpacks to kids all over the US. And it really taught me that the way you tell your story matters. And the difference between people understanding and buying into your vision and wanting to support your cause and feeling like it's their cause, the difference between that and you know a door being slammed in your face is really the way that you tell your story and appeal to your target audience. And that has pretty much stayed you know, through those principles with everything that I do now. And it really inspired me to go into marketing because I could see the power of what good marketing does in terms of getting people excited about good causes. So that's the second thing. And the third influential moment, this is more a, a spattering of moments, but some really 
amazing career work opportunities definitely go in this bucket. So Christy, you and I met from Seth Godin's Alt-MBA, which I helped to start and grow. The Alt-MBA is an online leadership and management workshop that flips the script on the way that people learn and using social accountability and peer pressure, if you will, to help people stay on the hook. So getting to work with Seth on that, building it over the past three years was amazing. And before that, working at The Gap too. That was one of my first jobs out of college. That was also very influential. I did a rotational program where I rotated between their multiple brands. So Banana Public, Old Navy, Gap, and got to see the way that the business ran behind the scenes, ranging from sourcing the products and rolls of fabric and how much everything cost to merchandising, inventory management, forecasting the number of units we should buy into when it comes to you know, basic color t-shirts like black, white, navy, and gray versus neon yellow and fashion colors, coral, bright blue. How do you forecast differently? How do you understand what customers want? So that was a really great training at a bigger company that helped me see and build those fundamentals that you know when I went to work at small organizations became so helpful and helped me basically see the rules so that I could break the rules intentionally later on. Wow, so much to unpack there, Wes. I love how it seems like early on in life, you found ways to really create purpose and meaning in your journey. When you talked about the nonprofit you started, actually, I think I missed that. How old were you when you started that nonprofit? 16. 16. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just thinking in my mind when I was, when I was 16, <laughs> I was not starting nonprofits, but you know, <laughs> you, talked, you talked a little bit about how you kind of had this lofty goal and vision. And then the journey started, you, you started to kind of get to the dark valleys of the journey where it started to get hard and people started to say no. When you think about 16 year old Wes at that time, what for you kept you going in those moments where you kept getting rejected. And you probably are at a point where you didn't really need to go on if you didn't want to, right? So what kind of kept you motivated? Well, in that particular situation, what kept me motivated was that I had already promised different organizations that I was going to deliver them backpacks. So I had the timeline of basically the summer before school started in September to get my act together and make something happen. And I think there's a beautiful thing about deadlines where peer pressure kicks in, social pressure, and you don't want to let people down. You don't want to disappoint people. So an external deadline in that case was very helpful. And I think even now in a lot of the work that I do, having that accountability and committing to something, whether it's publicly, whether it's, you know, with an accountability partner, with a friend, and wanting to stick with it to prove to yourself that you can do it, I definitely think that that's very much still something that I see being useful is, is having that deadline and having that, that accountability to keep on going. You're listening to the Meesey Muse Unplugged podcast. We'll be right back after the break. Now available on Amazon. Management consultant and author Christy Lindor shares career secrets based on 15 years of experience working at top firms in a new book called The Meesey Muse. 100 plus selected practices, unwritten rules, and habits of great consultants. The Meesey Muse provides insights, stories, and strategies on the unwritten rules of the consulting profession. Christie conducted research and connected with 50 plus industry titans across 27 professional service organizations on what makes a great consultant. 
For book reviews, tour dates and more info, go to www.mecmuse.us. As you talk about accountability, it actually brings me back to the point you made about how you and I met through the Alt-MBA. And I don't know if this was intentional or just organically kind of happened, but I feel like one of the most successful things I found as I experienced the Alt-MBA was the anchor in accountability. Do you believe that that was purposeful in terms of creating that as like one of the core values of the Alt-MBA program or it just was a byproduct of what you and Seth and team created? Oh, that was a thousand percent intentional. That was the core premise of the entire program. And, you know, if you think about online education today, there's a 7% completion rate. So a bunch of people sign up for courses. I personally have a calligraphy course and a music course somewhere gathering dust, digital dust. You know, I did the first lesson or something and then never went back to it. So the completion rates for online education are really low because people get excited about learning something. But when you're you know, sitting in your own living room with your laptop and you have five other browser tabs open, or for me, it'd be like 25 other browser tabs open, it's really easy to get distracted and not go back to something. And that's really the modern world that we live in now. So when we were figuring out how do we create an online learning experience where people are going to feel on the hook, one of the best ways for people to feel on the hook, maybe one of the only ways, is feeling that social accountability from people around you. And it simulates a little bit of what you feel when you're at a live event or you know, on a college campus where you go to class and you have the friends that you normally sit next to and your professor will know if you're sleeping on uh, the third row. So you feel all these little points of pressure to be your best self. And so we really wanted to figure out how do we tap into that and encourage people to be their best selves. So whether that's through mandatory deadlines or group work or Zoom where you're seeing people's faces, you're not just seeing someone live logging on in real time with you. These are all ways to help people stay on the hook. So absolutely, the part about surrounding yourself with people that will help you want to keep going during those dark parts, that's absolutely a core part of the program. And a lot of the work that, that I do and think about now is how do we help people feel like they, they should lean in, especially during those hard parts. Yeah, I love that. And go-getters, we'll put the links out in the show notes for you to check out Alt-MBA. I feel like I've talked about the Alt-MBA so many times on this podcast show and how it's really changed and helped me. But I think if you're out here listening and you're thinking about, you know, how can you really take your journey to the next level? I call the old MBA literally like a caffeine booster shot, <laughs> you know, to <laughs> your career. That's awesome. Um, and I think the accountability and the tribe, I've actually been pleasantly surprised about how I've actually gotten so much after the four weeks than being in it. You know, I felt like the residual and things just happening, even this podcast show was actually a result of the all NBA program. So that's really, incredible. So it's, it's such an honor to speak to one of the architects of the program. So Wes, I feel like I can talk about like the three moments you just mentioned. I feel like we can just keep unpacking that, but I'm going to move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you can, and maybe you, you covered this in your first response, but maybe share a life pivot that created a breakthrough for you and continues to pay off dividends to this day. Yeah. In terms of a life pivot or breakthrough, the ones that come to mind are more mindset shifts. So not necessarily something external, like a, a near-death experience or anything, but more just a, a mindset shift that 
happened gradually and then one day snapped in place. So one is deciding to become a rigorous thinker. And what I mean by that is there are so many situations in life where we go through the motions and take things at face value or don't really question the way things are done. And that leads to a lot of heartache and anxiety and stress and worry that can sometimes be unnecessary. So deciding to be a rigorous thinker for me meant thinking about what outcome is it that I really want from this interaction. You know, whether it's it's a meeting or a conversation with somebody or going after something, what is the end outcome of what it is that, that I really want and what does success look like? So skipping ahead to that end goal and then working backwards from there, a lot of times cuts out a ton of cruft that it, you would have gone through but didn't need to have to go through. So thinking about what's the outcome you want, thinking about you know how can I simplify first and not last. I just wrote a blog post about this that's going out in the next couple of weeks where you know a lot of times we we start off thinking about a situation how we want to tackle it and it starts getting really complicated. You know for me it was writing a note to a client and needing to be firm but also warm at the same time because I, I anticipated they might be upset about what is that we're talking about. So in my mind I had this six or seven paragraph email mapped out and all the things I needed to say. And then I thought, okay, wait a minute, pause. What if I simplified this first, not last? So I thought, okay, if I had to do this email in three sentences, what would that look like? And the immediate reaction is, oh my God, it's impossible. I can't do it in three sentences. But once I started working on it, you know, it eventually ended up being, I don't know, like five sentences or something much shorter, one paragraph basically. And because I challenged myself to simplify it up front, I saved myself from spending an additional couple hours worrying about it and another couple hours drafting this thing and end up doing it in 30 minutes. So thinking rigorously for me is a lot about figuring out what is that outcome? How can I be the most effective at whatever it is I'm doing? Thinking about my audience. So how can I make it easier for someone to say yes? You know, a lot of times we think of all the reasons someone might say no and we forget to focus on why they might say yes and structure your ask or structure your request in a way that they would say yes. So that whole idea of, of being a rigorous thinker is so important and really changed my life both in the workplace and in my personal life. That's something I write a lot about on my blog. So that's one huge mindset shift. And then the second one is the idea of making the most of the situation that you're in. And there's two quotes that are mantras for me. One is all good problems. And I have this, this on my fridge. The idea behind that is basically that whatever it is that we're complaining about and we wish weren't the way that they were, if we didn't have this set of problems, if let's say poof, you know, tomorrow everything was solved, it would just be replaced by another set of problems because that's just the way that the, the human brain works. That's just the way people work. Like we always need a little bit of something to complain about, even when pretty much everything in our lives is going decently well. So I love this phrase of all good problems because it just reminds me that the problems I have now, are, I'm actually really lucky to have these problems that a year ago, five years ago, I would have loved to have these problems. So I think that bit inserts some wisdom into, hey, I'm doing okay. And the problems that I have are ones that, that I feel lucky to have. When you talk about the rigorous thinking, are there any specific resources or books or anything that you use to really kind of train your brain or mind to create that? Or was it just through, I know you, you mentioned some self-reflection questions. Was it just through that, that you really kind of built that muscle? That's a great question. It's really a combination of studying fields that are adjacent to your own. 
So for me, my field is marketing and I study and am constantly reading about copywriting, psychology, management, leadership, psychotherapy, product. So looking at sources that are different than what everyone is reading can be very helpful. If everyone is, is reading the same marketing blog posts and the same marketing books, a lot of your strategies and tactics are going to look the same as everyone else's. So where do you get an edge? Where do you get that fresh inspiration that allows you to see a situation differently than everyone else and for you to think rigorously? And for me, that was really driven by studying fields that were adjacent, looking for patterns, analyzing how a situation might apply to you and what you can learn from it, and really realizing that there's nothing truly quote unquote objective. And this was a lesson that, that I learned early on when I was at The Gap. I started off doing the rotational program and then I became an analyst. And I remember one of my first days on the job, my manager showed me the spreadsheet of sales figures and she said, this week, I forget, it was like long sleeve tees are up by 14%. What's your reaction? Is that good or bad? And I looked at the 14% and I was like, oh my God, that's great. Yay, go us. And she said, well, wait a minute. What was this week supposed to be planned at? And I looked again and it turned out that we had planned for the week to grow by 20% or 25%. We had put more money into promotions and into marketing to support that growth. So it turned out that 14% was actually performing below what we thought. And so putting things into context is so important, right? When you see a number or when you see something happen, it's so easy and tempting to have a snap reaction and think, oh, this is good or oh, this is bad. But instead of thinking in those binary terms, replacing that with a spectrum of thinking, okay, in what ways is this good? In what ways could this be bad? Or, you know, is this good compared to what? What was this plan to be in and what was the actual? So just thinking in a bit more of a nuanced way, I think early on from that experience was really helpful for showing that, you know, a number, is, a data point by itself doesn't really mean anything. And we can apply that to elsewhere in the rest of our lives by really putting into context and thinking in a little bit more of a nuanced way with whatever it is that we're working on, how do you get the most out of it? And how do you manage and plan your time well so you're not just in this constantly reactive mode, getting pulled right, getting pulled left? I think that's informed a lot of the rigorous thinking. Love it. I'm going to switch gears, Wes. If your life was a book, what words would you use to describe the current chapter title and why? So The current chapter title would probably be, does this make your eyes light up? <laughs> <laughs> so as an analytical person, an ambitious analytical person, I feel like I spend an enormous amount of time doing things that are hard and choosing to do things that are hard. And so over time, equated struggling with being on the right track. So if it feels hard, if it feels uncomfortable, that's a good thing. And that's, you know, that's pretty much the way that I operate. But, you know, recently I've been thinking about what if things felt easy? And what I mean by easy is not, you know, hey, let me take the easy way out. But what I mean by easy is what if things felt natural and they felt in flow and I picked things to do that gave me energy and made me feel more alive and made my eyes light up. So I love this idea of just tapping more into your intuitive side and checking in with myself and saying, does this feel like something that I'm excited about? Does working with this person, does that make me feel good? And does talking to them feel easy? And one good example of this is, you know, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but there are some people that I talk to where whatever you're saying, it's almost like you're always misunderstanding each other. And it's like, 
for every yeah. one sentence, right? Yeah, it's so <laughs> weird. For every for every one sentence, you need another three sentences to explain that one sentence because they're like, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Or oh, I'm offended, or whatever. Or you know, that's that's weird. And it's almost like this constant cacophony, or like you're you're trying to meet, but you're just missing each other all the time. Like you're trying to high five, and you're just constantly missing each other. So that I think is a good example of when something isn't easy. Like that is a slog, and it's it's just dreadful to need to interact with someone like that. And so for me, in situations like that, nowadays, instead of forcing it, like in the past, I probably would have just said like, okay, just make it work. Nowadays, I take a step back. I say to myself, you know, this person is, is very different. You do you. I'm gonna do me. And we don't have to change for each other necessarily because we're probably mm. too different, and we're probably just not a good fit. So. I wish you well and, you know, go do your thing and I'm going to do mine in my corner of the world. But if it feels so hard to work together, let's not, you know, and, and let's go find people where things feel easy. So this whole idea of does it make your eyes light up? Does it feel easy? Does it make you feel alive? I, I think that's definitely the chapter that I'm in now where I'm tapping more into that intuition and really balancing that analytical side where, you know, struggle equals progress, really balancing that with tapping into what feels good and what will make that journey feel good too. You know, what's fascinating about that response is that I've kind of struggled with that, you know, progress means it has to be hard. And I have that belief system as well that I've worked on for the last, at least I think the last couple of years, but I've never put it in the context of relationships. I've always thought of it as my own journey or if it's something I'm doing personally, but I've never thought of it as, if there's an incompatibility with the people around me that for whatever reason I may have to communicate with, maybe it's not worth that communication. So it's, I feel like that can just be an episode all of itself right there, mm -hmm. that topic. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to the Meesey Muse Unplugged podcast. We'll be right back after the break. What if you can finally launch your own consulting business that gives you the confidence to go after any targeted client and build a profitable business, regardless of your educational background or knowledge? What if you can finally learn how to package your expertise you spent years building into a profitable offering and then wake up every day making a difference with clients that truly value what you can bring to the table as a credible business consultant? Here's the secret, you can. Introducing the Purpose Driven Consultant School. It's an online training and mentoring program designed to help ambitious women and diverse professionals become world-class consultants doing work they love with people they like. Courses are taught by me, Christy Lindor. I come with over 18 plus years of experience working for some of the world's most prestigious management consulting firms. Check us out, we're now enrolling. We have a couple courses coming up on really how to start your business. We kick off our program with a six week boot camp called Consulting Like a Boss. You can learn more at www.purposedrivenconsultant.com. I love your point about focusing on that interpersonal piece because so much of the work that we do of creating change, of working towards progress, leading big projects, they involve people, they involve other people. So if you're in a situation where people are speaking a different language or they don't get it, or you're constantly having to fight them, it's very draining and you only have so much energy. 
you only have so much emotional labor in you. So thinking about conserving that as a resource is really smart because it means that you can allocate it to people who are more likely to change and more likely to see what you see, see the world the way you see the world and allow you to spend that energy, that emotional energy making forward progress because you're not having to have the same frustrating bang your head on the wall conversations over and over and over. You say that with such clarity. I feel like what you're talking about is like, it's like Zen leadership. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. If there's such a term, but yeah, that sounds great. What would you say, Wes, is next for your journey? It sounds like you've done a lot of really meaningful, deep work over the years. What are you going to be up to next? I feel like I'm just scratching the surface with a lot of work that I'm doing. And for me, the next step is continuing to work with amazing people who have big dreams, who are challenging the status quo, who realize that motivating people to take an action, whether that's on a daily basis with your coworkers, people around you, or on a grander scale with getting people to donate or buy in or buy your product, your service. There are so many amazing people with great ideas that could benefit from thinking more strategically in a more nuanced way about the levers that get people to actually change their behavior. So I love working with people on identifying what are some of these levers? How can we think differently about appealing to people in the way that they want to be appealed to and continuing to help support people who are in the trenches trying to make change happen? Yeah. Well, I mentioned at the top of the interview that this season is about the science of success. So I do have a question here. I would love to get your perspective. Um, Trying to debate here is being successful always equate to being profitable. Would love your take on that. I have two thoughts here. Well, the short answer is no, but the longer answer is that if you're profitable, it helps you live to fight another day. So for me, finding what people want and what there's demand for isn't just about profit. The profit is a positive externality for sure, but it's really a gauge for creating something that gives people a specific and tangible enough value that they're willing to trade money for it. So for me, it's really about creating value. And I think shifting that in your head can be a really useful reframe because then it's not about, hey, am I being obsessed with money? It's more about, am I creating value and explaining it in a way where people understand? So that's the first point. The second is, you know, when you say success, the thing that comes to mind is, you know, I used to have such a rigid idea of what success meant. You know, I wanted to be the youngest VP at a beauty company. And here's what I would have to do every single year from now until then to be able to do that. And pretty early on, I realized that what I thought I wanted wasn't really what I wanted and that there were also so many ways to make an impact. So I think understanding that you get to define whatever success means to you is super empowering. And it also means that you can be a little bit less obsessed with the way that the outside world might be gauging what success looks like. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, I used to be obsessed with making sure that my resume made sense. Like it was the worst thing in the world if I had a gap in my resume. And just this obsession with what does that narrative look like? What will the outside world think of whatever it is that I'm doing, you know, as my next thing? Does it relate to the previous thing? And what does this look on the narrative arc? Which is just really, really exhausting. So what I recommend, do what you want to do. Don't be limited by how are you going to tell this story later? And don't spend too much energy on what does that story look like because you can always tell your story in a way that makes sense afterwards. As long as you're motivated and driven and like the work that you're doing, 
you can explain what that change meant to you. And people are not that critical. Most people are just thinking about themselves and worried that you think they're not successful enough. So I think that's the other thing that I would mention is that, yeah, like everyone is just thinking about themselves usually and worried that you are judging them. So don't be too worried about people judging you about, you know, am I successful enough? Right. And I know in past episodes, we cover that and we talk about how people are defining success. And it just feels like in the world, there's a lot more people that is correlating profitability to success. And even on the flip side, I've seen clients where they're extremely profitable, but I wouldn't really necessarily say they're successful. If you go back to what they say their mission is or what they say their core values are. So I completely agree with that thinking. So what's a fun fact that people cannot Google about you? Oh, this is a fun one. I really like glutinous desserts. So if I'm at a Thai restaurant, I'll get sticky rice mango, of course. But I also love sticky rice dumplings, pearl milk tea, bubble tea, mochi. I make great mochi. So if you ever are in Toronto, I will make you my mochi. So that's one. And I'm also turning my apartment into an urban jungle. So I have 26 plants and counting, but that actually doesn't count cuttings and seedlings that I'm propagating. But I love plants and I love propagating. I have this whole little tray of baby succulents because it just feels like I'm creating something out of nothing. You know, I'm taking this leaf that fell and it's like, oh great, now this is its whole new plant. It feels very abundant. Yeah. Yeah, so I love glutinous desserts and plants. So with the plants, is it that you have like the whole setup with the lights and everything or is it more using leveraging like the the natural light to keep them thriving? My apartment, the setup now is all natural lights. There's none of those grow lights or hydroponic lights. I love natural light. I love floor ceiling windows and I think I have seasonal affective disorder when I personally don't get enough sunlight. So yeah, so we have a lot of light here, which is great. So the plants are all kind of scattered throughout. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the Misi Mise Unplugged today, Wes. If people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way they can find you online? The best way to keep in touch is to subscribe to my blog at westko.com slash subscribe. I dig a lot deeper into the topics we talked about today with rigorous thinking and marketing frameworks that you can apply both to your personal life and to work. And I only send out stuff that is practical that I've tried myself and, and tested over time. And it's about once a week. You can also find me on Twitter at Wes underscore KO or email me or text me. I'll give you that information in the show notes. Well, again, thank you so, so much for joining us on the Misi Muse. I, I, I love this conversation. You speak with such clarity and such intent, just like a true go-getter. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm super, super excited for this entire season and the work that you're doing and meeting other go-getters. So thank you so much for having me on the show. That concludes today's show. I want to thank my guests for being with us today and thank you, my go-getters, for tuning in. There are hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there and I'm so glad that you've chosen the Misi Muse Unplug to connect with. So make sure you check out today's show notes. You can go to www.misimuse.com for more information. Please feel free to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends and rate it. Until next time, here's to your journey to greatness. Tune in for new episodes every Monday to kick off your week of greatness. 
Visit us online at MiseMuse.com for more information. Don't forget to follow Misi Muse on all socials to stay tuned in for upcoming episodes and news from Christy Lindor.